Hallelujah. You may be seated. Isn't it awesome just to think that there's no mountain, there's no problem. It doesn't matter if there's a lie in your life, He will come after you. And the scripture says that He will leave the 99 because you are of value to Him. Isn't that just comforting? It's comforting to know that our God will never leave us. He'll never forsake us because he loves us and he cares for us. So look to the person next to you and say, God loves you. God loves you. He cares for you. And you're here today at this appointed time, at this divine time, because he loves you. He cares for you. And he has something for you to learn today. We've been going through a series of messages on bravery. And what is bravery? How, is, as bra- how does bravery play out? I know last week as I was down with the kids, by the way, had a great time with your children and grandchildren. And it was, it was truly uh, a memorable time as well. And uh, we talked about walking by faith, not by sight, things we see. And yet today my message is truly God gives us things that we can see and have as a reminder that he still loves us and cares for us. But it was it was really great. And I appreciate Pastor Luke last week on speaking on biblical characteristics of a brave Christian. And I think it's difficult for us because bravery kind of encompasses so much of our life. Courageous living encompasses so much of our life. You know, we start out as little people, you know, trying to be courageous, trying to have enough courage to face the fears that we embark upon. How many of you remember when you started school and how difficult it was to go to school because you were going to face the bullies that you met last year that happened to be in your path this year? I guess I'm the only one, and so it's a message of one today, And uh, but I had bullies that I had to face. But I had to have enough courage to go to school and say, I'm going to overcome this. And that's kind of, you know, really what courageous living is about. Overcoming some of the greatest fears, because people have an image of you, they think they know you, or maybe just this, they're jealous of you. Maybe they want what you have. Maybe they want your athleticism or your, your, uh, your IQ or because you're genius or whatever the case might be. You know, it's still we face adversity. Then it, it just transfers right into the workplace because we go into work and for whatever reason, those that work around us, they love us. They shower us with flowers and with gifts every time we walk in the building. Oh, that's not true. That doesn't happen, does it? No, because it is hard, isn't it? It's hard. Then we we transfer that same type of, you know, feeling and you go, okay, the alarm clock goes off at six o'clock. You take a deep breath. Then you say, okay, I'm going to sleep till 6.15. It goes off again. And 15 minutes later, 6.30 comes around. You hit that alarm again. And um, maybe for some of you, you just it's a mental thing. But I know for, for myself, you know, having to get up over the years and, and even facing some of the adversity in the workplace is difficult. You don't like your boss. You're two different people. But what God has done is he brings you together for what reason? To define who you truly are. 
Have you ever started a job where maybe you didn't really like some of your coworkers? You didn't like your boss or your supervisor? And then all of a sudden, you come around to this place where now you have a great respect and understanding for that person. And that is because you stopped where you were at and realized, you know what, I, I know where I have my own insecurities. And I really believe that bravery and courageous living starts with us by understanding what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are, and how can we deal with them in our life. And so I know that in, in my life, as I look back over the years and even some of the bosses and pastors that I served under, it, it, for me, as I look back, I thought, you know what, I could have done something different here and I could have done something different there. And I know those days where I thought I was going to face some, some days of uncertainty and, and it was just, I was nervous, maybe afraid and fearful. I remember the great scripture verse that says, Nay, in all these things we've been made more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I went out and tackled it and made it. And I'm still here today at 48 years old. I didn't die through it. They didn't kill me over it. You know, you make changes and you move on. But hopefully our courageous life, you know, uh, we grow from that. Turn to your Bible, if you would, please, to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. How many early risers do we have here today? How many get up early in the morning? You can't help it. It's just the way it is. I understand. When you wake up, you are ready to go. Wide awake. That's me. People who aren't early risers can't stand to be around you. You know, I, I know there are some that say it takes me some time to get motivated. Becky's like, you know, Todd, how do you just get right up out of bed and you can leap right out of the bed right into to working in the yard? I don't know, because I guess maybe I was coming around about 4.30 in the morning. This morning I got up at 3 o'clock and was walking around the living room. And I thought to myself, I was deliberating. Do I get up? Do I go back to bed? Do I get up? Do I go back to bed? What one? No, I went back to bed. <laughs> I said, um, I need to lay here and sleep. So I did until 10 till 6. But anyhow, uh, it, uh, the sleep won this morning. And so it was good for me. Well, imagine dreaming and planning to go someplace your entire life. Your parents and grandparents dreamed of going there before you did, and they would tell you stories from time to time of their earliest memories about how great it would be when you finally get the opportunity to finally arrive. Now imagine this was not just a personal dream, but a national one. That every other person in the nation was dreaming and planning to take the same trip with you together. All the people around you have the same dream. Everything you all did was designed to move you all in the same direction just to get you to that place. Can you imagine how awesome that would be? And what if you were told that tomorrow it was going to happen? I would wake up early. I would wake up early if someone said to me, yes, we're all going to do this together. We're going to move in the same direction. I would get up early just to be a part of that. Well, so did Joshua. And after 40 years, they were almost there. And, and I know you guys have heard messages. Everybody knows that the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. I think every one of us pastors have made a message that kind of centers around that. But in reality, it's always funny because it hit me last night as I was studying the children of Israel. 
If you're a child, don't you need somebody to guide you? Don't you need someone to lead you? Well, I believe that in the scripture, as we always look at the nation of Israel and we refer to them as children of Israel, it's because they just didn't listen when they were supposed to listen. So they just kept wandering and wandering and wandering, just like a child would wander. How far away does your children get away from you? Travis and Heather, Paul and Tiffany, Mike and Sherry. Do you guys just let your kids go, okay, we're going to have church today. You guys go ahead. You guys can travel down there in the gorge. Have a good time. Enjoy yourself. Don't get hurt. No. And make your way back at three or two years of age. That doesn't work, right? Because they're children. They need guidance and direction. And so now we look at this as wandering for 40 years. They had a great prophet, Moses, who led them. But they just, they would humble themselves. They would go a distance. And then all of a sudden they would get irritated because in the midst of their journey, things just weren't as glorious as promised back in Exodus and Leviticus. When God said, listen, where your feet land, you will be blessed. The children of Israel were already blessed. They just needed to surrender and be obedient to what God had for them. Have you ever stopped and thought about how long that was and how many of you here today are under 40? 40 years they wandered. Do you know the Bible says that in that 40 years, that 40 years they wandered, it said the only two living people in the next 40 years, before it all started, was Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. So everybody was under the age of 40 except for them. Now we realize that Moses has passed and now Joshua becomes the lead to lead prophet to guide the children of Israel. Did you ever stop to consider that all people standing on the shore are less than 40 years old? With the exception of those men. Just as they did 40 years ago, they were all promised the promised land. The land in Canaan. Where there's milk and honey flowing and all these great things are going to take place. In Joshua chapter 2 verse 24, now the command comes. It's time to get their feet wet. Why is it we lose heart? Why is it we lose heart in our walk with Christ? So, hold on a minute. Do you guys remember the story when Moses was standing on that mountaintop? And they were at the Red Sea. And he was bringing the children of Israel out of exile. What happened down there at that Red Sea? Did he part it? He parted it. Now, God told Moses to part the Red Sea. So as he was standing there, he lifted up his rod, remember? And lifted up his hands. And the sea divided. But then what happened? His arms started to become weak. And there were two people that were brave enough to believe in him that came right up next to him, Aaron and Ur, and said, we're going to hold you up. That's true bravery. Hold on a minute. Wait a minute. But, Pastor, you told us they go back and forth. They, I mean, they, want, they wandered, they wandered, they wandered, they wandered. But if you go throughout all of Scripture, you'll start to find out just how difficult it is 
to be 100% surrendered to the Almighty God, the one who is willing to give you blessings and provisions and to reward you for your goodness and your kindness. But more importantly, your faithfulness. See, we miss that. We see God work and then we forget what he's done. What has God done in your life? If I said today's going to be open mic Sunday and you're going to walk up here and you're going to give a story of what God has done in and through your life, what would you do? Would you be able to walk up here without having your narrative, without having your script and say, I'm going to walk up here. That was seven years ago that God gave me cancer and I'm delivered from it today. It was 22 years ago that, you know, I saw God take our home and I didn't think we'd have any money. And he turned it around. We still have that home. We still have blah, 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 blah. And I'm still serving the Lord today because of all the adversity. I lost my loved one. I lost a wife. I lost a husband. But despite all of it, I know God's been faithful with me. He said he'll never leave me nor forsake me. He loves me. He said, what is the depth, the width, the height of my love? I love you this much that I'll send my son to die for you, to give you life because I care for you. And so we all have stories, but hold on. Why in the midst of those stories do we lose sight of what God is doing? So in the next 15 seconds, we're just going to take a pause this morning. And as I was speaking about what God has done in your life, I want you to just think of what God has done to remind you of how good he's been to you in your life. What has he done? Where has he saved your life? Where has he blessed you? What was, when was the day that you came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? When was the day that you found hope in the eternal living God that says, you know what? Forget about what happened yesterday. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. Today's today, and I'm going to help you. You're going to be delivered, and there is hope for you today. Where are you at? Or are you the one that's sitting in the pew that's just been wandering for 40 years and said, I just don't have what I need? I just don't have what it takes. Well, God does. God does. And he cares for you. And it takes bravery on your part to stand up and say, I need him today. The days I've watched people run down this altar to get saved. The days I've watched people come out of the baptismal waters, changed and living a life for Christ. Those days I've seen rededication. Those days, this can be your day. And it could be a day that you can write down, that you can remember for all of your earthly life and throughout all of eternity. So 15 seconds, I just want you to stop. Remember what God has done for you and just thank him quietly go I remember being the one feeling like he left the 99 to come and get me because he loved me and he cared for me Maybe you feel like you're just that one. 
Maybe you've left the fold. Maybe you feel alone and abandoned and empty. Would you come back to him? Be brave enough. Be courageous enough. Before we get in this message this morning, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the worship this morning. We thank you for the ladies as they have uh, just prepared our hearts for the message today. Lord, encourage us, teach us, help us. Lord, thank you for the ladies downstairs as they're preparing for the luncheon today. Lord, we love you. Thank you for just all you've done for us. Bless us today. Hide me behind the cross. Speak through me. Touch and anoint your people today. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Joshua chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. It says, early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about a half a mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. Verse 5, And Joshua told the people, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. Purify yourself, for the Lord will do great wonders for you. You see, this nation is at a place of decision. These people have never been here before, other than Joshua and Caleb. This is an important time, a critical point. This is where you either break down or you break through. You become brave. This is where you decide to dream and ask yourself, is it worth it? It's one thing to dream, it's another thing to take possessions of that dream. An entire generation had to quit dreaming at this very place 40 years earlier. They sent spies into the land, but they decided they couldn't do it. Now, 40 years later, they're back again at this same place. Yes, chapter 3. Listen, when you are committed to follow God, you will someday come to this place. Are you saying we need a narrative now? Just hit the pause button. There we go. <laughs> Got to appreciate those iPhones that have those Bible apps, right? At least we know you finally found it. At this place, there are two choices they came, they came about with. Ready? Point number one, cross over into the promised land. Number two, or settle down right where you are and give up your dream. I believe these critical places are God's spots. They're places of impossibility, but also places of miracles. They're places that reveal our weaknesses, but they're also places where God reveals His strength. They're places of our hopelessness or helplessness, but also places of God's sufficiency. They're places where all self-effort is not enough, but also places where we discover God is more than enough. They're the places where we put our money where our mouth is. Places where we take what we claim to believe in and the safety of the pew and trust it. Trust that it will work on the river's edge. Joshua tells the people, follow the ark. Joshua tells the people, follow the ark. 
Good advice, isn't it? People, you go where God goes. And then you will know the way to go. You see, that was good for Joshua. That was great preaching. And it was great advice on his part. The last time this nation faced this task, Moses was in the lead. He says to the priest, you carry the Ark of the Covenant into the water. You see, Joshua is not going to be like Moses. He's not going to raise his arms and watch the water part. Instead, he tells the priest carrying the Ark to lead the way into the water. And I actually can see the priest saying to one another, you go first. I was first last week. You go first. I lived by faith last week. See, these are smart guys. They know the ark is made of gold and gold does not float very well. All they have is a promise that when the priests step into the water, God will stop the water from flowing. As soon as they set foot in the Jordan, its waters will be cut off and stand up in a heap is what the scriptures say. Joshua wanted them to listen and not speak, trust and obey. Even we have a problem with that as Christians. We need to listen instead of talking. Each time those priests started talking, he would say, hush, trust in God. People are going, Pastor, I'm all confused. What is the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant is where they actually housed the Ten Commandments. And so because God spoke to Moses, they guarded those. And everywhere they went, they would build the temple and they would guard those and the cloud would follow. And so it was very sacred and valuable to guard what was in the ark. An ark very similar to something that is precious to God. Look at the correlation. I'll just throw this in as an advertisement. I kicked off this message on bravery to say we spoke on Noah and the ark, right? Isn't it amazing? So the ark is a box that holds valuable possessions. But I'm going to go back to the Hebrew and Greek. Actually, we have to be very, very careful because as I did a study on the ark, the, the, if you look in the Texas Receptus, and we're all Americans here today, and we're not going to go back that deep into the theological you know, teachings here today, but um, we have to be careful because as we look at the comparisons, and some pastors have preached that they are the same, the word broke down as actually two different meanings. One meaning a coffin, the other meaning a sacred box that holds what, you know, God has put in it. But, you know, what's so cool about the comparison between the ark, Noah's ark, versus the ark of the covenant. God protected both of its contents, didn't he? But here's what's cool. But he used man to protect what was in there. He told Noah, build the ark. He told Joshua and those priests, grab them from the 12 tribes and protect what is in this box. Joshua chapter 3, verses 14 and 17. It says this. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests were, who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam, which is near Zerathan. 
And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. As soon as the feet of the priest touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zerathen. Imagine just standing there waiting. Who's going to do it? Who has faith enough to step? Do you believe Joshua? Come on. Is there always deliberating? I know there was deliberating. When, I, when we had a meeting to move into this church, there was deliberating. Pastor, I don't think we can afford it. Pastor, do you think we should move? We've only been in existence six months. I figured you guys, I'd add that in there. Where's the faith? Take a step of faith. Step into the water. I looked at him, I said... Well, I didn't start this ministry. I was just the one who was called. I'm only here to do whatever God wants me to do. He's like, okay. Okay. We're standing downstairs in this building. I think we could do this. He comes back up. What do you want now? Are you sure we can afford this, Pastor? I said, I know we can afford it. Brother Cliff didn't say that. He had faith. He was a numbers guy. He was like, I'm ready for this. He knew it. You know why? Because we live our life. And that wasn't the one who said it. But, you know, when I think, Debbie, of your dad, I just think, man, he was so encouraging to me. A man who always dealt with numbers. But he said, hey, you live by faith. I remember back when we started this other church and we were part. I mean, you, you know, that's true faith. And so here they are. They're standing on the river's edge. Are you going to carry that big old box, the Ark of the Covenant? Now, let's be real here. If you're carrying some of the most valuable possessions of God's possessions, how many of you would say no? Interesting thought, isn't it? No, it's either one or two things. He strikes you dead or you drown doing it. One or the other. What a dilemma, right? I know who my God is. I know who has full authority. And so they stepped into the water. And you know what's so cool is it said that the waters receded and they moved out of the way. That's bravery. That's true, courageous living. How many, you know, remember the old song, step into the water, way down a little bit deeper. You know, okay, that goes way back. They're looking at me going, no, pastor. We don't know what you're talking about. But anyhow, it's an old southern gospel number. And uh, there's four of us that know that. Me, my mom, my wife, and my twin sister. And uh, we'll maybe have to sing it for you one of these days. I don't know. But I always loved it because as they took that step of faith, step into the water, you know, talking about a transformation of baptism. But I always think that song started playing because faith started to take place. When we bought this building, it wasn't us. Let me show you the correlation. I said... It doesn't matter if we can afford it. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. The Bible says he has mansions and his gates and everything. Streets of gold. I mean, he has more than we can even imagine or think. So we did it. We went by faith. And when we wrote the letter and we gave it to the pastor in this church, there was a realtor here. He looked right at me. He said, that's impossible. There is no way possible that you can, you guys can't do it. We went to a bank. They said, you can't get a loan for $275,000 or 
We ended up getting it for two twenty-five. Is that correct? Two twenty-five. Good. We don't really care, do we? Okay. And uh, we can't even remember that many years ago. But anyhow, because we don't need to remember those kind of things, we know that we're still sitting here with air conditioning today and fans going, and I feel great. But here, here's reality. You know, as as we went by faith, here, you know what's so cool is this is exactly what the pastor told me he did. Now, up to this point, they said, no, we're selling the building. And all of the men on the board said to their pastor, Pastor Rick, we're not selling the building by land contract. We're selling the building by a loan. We need the money in our new building. Pastor Rick said we were all sitting there. And he said, you know what? God spoke to me right then. The art came in. Greg walked in. We had the board sitting there. They said, well, here's a letter from the pastor that he would like to present to you. And Pastor Rick said this. This was the church that was previously here. He said, I took the letter. And he goes, oh, really? That's all right. God spoke to me. They're in it. They can have it. Land contract. He said, I will tell you, I went by faith. And I will also tell you that at that moment, I didn't look at any of the other board members. I just looked down at that table, threw that paper, and just sat there quietly. Then it dawned on me, what did you say in that letter? You know, as he was was sharing the story. You know, here's reality. God always provides. He always provides. And if you'll just have faith to step out by it, don't forget what he's done. Don't forget his provisions for each and every one of us. Remember why I said take 15 seconds and just remember the rewards and the blessings that God has poured out on your life? Please don't forget. That's what brings us back to this place to have church, to worship him. And what he was telling them is, listen, when you take a step of faith, I will bless. And I think I'm getting a little ahead of my message here, but it's okay. But I love here that he said, listen, just imagine... Joshua was telling them, listen, quit your complaining. Just take that step of faith. Pastor was telling his board, quit your complaining. Take the step of faith. God will provide and praise the Lord. We were able to write them out a check three years ago and pay it off. We're able to refinance, go through the bank now and uh, be able to to say, here you go. Thank you for your blessings. And it's all done. They don't have to worry about it. And, And I will tell you this. Pastor Rick told me, he said, preacher, I want you to know. And they're now located in Barberton, Doylestown area. He said, our church needed this money right now at this time more than we ever did several years ago. He said, this came at the perfect time. Glory! The old little Baptocostal coming out, isn't he? That's what's exciting. I mean, I needed to hear that. I needed to know that while we were here and the people that were part of this ministry, we can't forget the stones that God has given us as he's getting ready to. And we embark upon this great memorial of the Jordan crossing of collecting just all the precious stones to remind those generations after that what God has done. Let's not forget that God sent his son to die on the cross. To give us life. See, he's not in the grave. He's risen. He's risen indeed. 
So Joshua said to these priests, as they were going back and forth wondering what they were going to do, he's like, hush, wait and trust God. I think one of our biggest problems is we want to see victory before we ever get into the fight. We want to see the end before we ever start. The problem is God doesn't always work that way. In fact, I think more often that not that God works through a process. He gives us just enough information to get us moving and then only gives us what we need when we need it. That's called living by faith. To get past the obstacle, a first step was required. They took the step. It was a step of faith. It was a step of bravery. They went into the water and God honored that and he honored their faith. Well, I thought about Joshua's response. Here's a great acronym to hush. Hold until something happens. That's what he was telling them. Hold that thing up. I don't care if you get tired. Do it until something happens. How long did they hold that? I think the miracles of God often happen to us the same way that they happen for the priests in the water. We have to wait. We have to hold fast. We have to stand in the water. We have to be willing to fight the current. To believe in the promise and after standing firm, then see the miracle. Why did God do it that way? I don't know for sure. It's not just the army of 40,000 that had to cross. Listen to me, church. 40,000 army members had to cross that river Jordan. We're not talking 342 people. It is the whole nation, women and children included, anywhere from one to two million people. They would need a pretty large area to cross that many people. How would a 20-mile stretch do for them? Maybe it was simply that God wanted them to trust him, to stand strong in the current. Maybe he did things that way because he wanted them to trust his faithfulness prior to the miracle that was about to take place. Imagine the people beginning to see the water lower. Maybe someone on the shore saw it and yelled out, Hey, I think the water is getting lower. Yeah. Then an applause, just joyous, God-praising, awe-inspired, full-out applause. The kind of thing God deserves from all of us all the time. Maybe God did it that way just to show us that, that it is often how he chooses to set his people free. He takes his time. Sometimes it requires effort on our part. Sometimes it's an intentional process. However, he did it. For whatever reasons he did it the way he did it, it was a huge, huge miracle. It was a big deal. Something that they would always remember. Do you know to this day that story is still told? Jewish people love that story. Because it is something To be remembered. The priest led the way. The first step was one of faith. And then they waited. And God came through. Because God always comes through. Amen? God always comes through. He's always faithful. That's our God. When the waters receded, they marched in right into the middle of that riverbed. And there they stand. They take this stance of faith and trust in God. It is a declaration of trust and faith in a powerful God. They were standing there trusting God to keep holding back the water so the people could pass over into the promised land. Grab a hold of this truth. God always goes first. 
God always goes first. We may be someplace we have never been before. But you see, God's been there. We may be confused by the place where we find ourselves today. But God knows where we are. And he knows how to lead us out. Because God goes before us. This is why uncertain places are no reason to worry or fear. Because God has been there before us and he is with us right now. Logically speaking, the people had good reason to be fearful or anxious. See, the Jordan River is not normally a wide river. Normally it's about 40 feet wide at the widest point. However, in the springtime, at flood stage, it could be over 100 feet deep and as much as a mile wide. Crossing this thing was definitely going to be a God thing and a God story. There were no bridges and there were no boats. There was just lots and lots of water and lots and lots of people. But it was for these people to cross. Even if they didn't feel safe, even if they felt exposed and insecure, they were to cross. So let's look at Joshua chapter 4 verses 1 through 7. And it says this, when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carrying them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen. One from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder. Twelve stones in all. One for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you could tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. They will stand as a memorial for the people of Israel forever. As they are crossing, Joshua gives the instruction that they were to collect 12 stones from the river to commemorate the event. And now for you and I, I don't imagine them being small little stones that they put on their shoulders. It said that they built a monument. He said, put it on your shoulder. Carry it that way. I think they were big. They were probably as big or bigger than the pile of stones found out here around us by the gorge. These 12 big stones were to be carried to the shore and they were to be piled high as a testimony to God's miraculous intervention. And when they made their way to the other side, God finished the miracle by putting the river back. You see, God had done an awesome thing. He had saved them over 40 years earlier and they called it Passover as the death angel passed their homes. Now God saves them again as they pass over the Jordan. It's a new act of deliverance to a new generation. And their assignment was simply never ever let your children forget. Leave this pile of stones on the side of the river was like etching it in stone. The stones would stand as a memorial to the mighty thing that God had miraculously done. And the place where the stones were placed was called Gilgal, which meant the reproach has been rolled away. The crossing of the Jordan ended a cloud that hung over this place for 40 years, a cloud of defeat 
and a cloud of failure. And now it was being removed from them. So what do these stones mean here in front of us today? Well, just as in this story, there was something that people had to do that really set the stage for what God was going to do. So too, did we have a part to play in what God has done among us. Here's what he said. Consecrate yourselves. Set apart for the service of God. They were told to prepare themselves, prepare their hearts. It is amazing what we will tolerate that is displeasing to God and then make excuses for our wrong behaviors. Friends, if we want to see God at work in our lives, he expects us to call sin, sin. To confess it and repent of it, that's our first step. To make things right. I wonder how many times we've missed God's blessings because we felt to prepare ourselves. How much of God's power do we forfeit when we allow ourselves to become cluttered with sin? How many times have we walked away from a worship service empty because we failed to prepare ourselves? How many have been brave enough to start across the Jordan, but because of some wrong desire or attitude, some hidden sin, some behavior we're unwilling to change, they come up short and we're swallowed up by the waves of despair, guilt, and condemnation. I believe if you've come through this prepared, then these stones mean something to you today. Because you met with God here. He has done amazing things in and through you. Coming to Christ, some of you have dropped some weights of bitterness and anger and resentment and jealousy, greed and more. Some of you have recommitted your lives to God through years of trials by saying, you know what, I've got this stone, but I'm, I'm leaving this weight of sin in my life. So as I wind down my message this morning, what do these stones mean? They remind us that God wants total dependence upon Him. They crossed over the Jordan. He said, go back and get some of those boulders and build a memorial. That's a reminder. They were told to watch the ark and to follow the ark. They couldn't have made it across the Jordan River on their own power. Neither can we lay down weight of sin, become free, or have a new life in our own power. So what do these stones mean? If we want His promise, we have to be willing to get our feet wet. Giving our life to Him, pursuing His promises requires faith. Not a passive faith that causes us to sit in our pews, feeling religious and pompous and righteous, but a faith that is actively lived out, fleshed out in the real world. Søren Kierengarg, how did you like that name? The 19th century Danish religious philosopher told a story about a town where only ducks lived. And I had to share this with you. Reminds me of the church sometimes. Every Sunday, the ducks would waddle out of their houses and waddle down Main Street to their church. They waddled into the sanctuary and they sat in their proper seats. The duck choir waddled in and took its place. And then the duck minister came forward and opened up the duck Bible. He read to them, ducks, God has given you wings with wings. You can fly with wings. You can mount up and soar like eagles. No walls can confine you. No fence can hold you. You have wings. 
God has given you wings and you can fly like birds. All of the ducks in the congregation, they shouted, Amen, Amen, and Amen. And they waddled home. Do you get the story? You see, most of us don't like risk. We are comfortable. See, we enjoy our cushioned seats. We desire predictability. Crossover times can be frightening. They are new and different. They can be difficult, but with His help, we can live the life of faith. So what do these stones mean to you? What, do stones, what stones do you have? Remind me that God loves me. These stones speak of God's grace and His mercy and His love. These stones remind me of the thousands of stones God has removed and moved in my life. Of the thousands of rivers He has helped me cross and the thousands of changes He has made in me. And He has done the same for you. At least He wants to do the same in and through you. And in closing this morning, if you think that God has never done anything for you, that He, hasn't, that he doesn't love you, Remember that you act, your act of bravery and faith has brought you to where you are today. And you couldn't do it alone. You have God and others helping and leading you every step of the way. Each stone is an object or memorial for all of us. And he wants us to know that there is victory in the cross. He wants us to know there is victory over brokenness. He wants us to know that there is victory over death. God wants us to know the victory that comes with making that step of trust and obedience, which will unleash His power in our lives. Take the step. Be fully committed to following the Lord wherever He will lead you. It is a journey that you will never, ever forget. Take the step. Deal with those issues that God has brought to your mind and find out how God can powerfully help you. Take the step as a church. Go into the water. Go not where we want to go, but where God leads. Not for our glory, but for His. This morning, many of you may not know this, but it's so great. Jerry's wife was with us. Thank you for being with us. And uh, she reminded me, I looked at her this morning, I thought, she looks familiar. She waited on us at the office restaurant. And folks, remember me sharing the story of the shoes? Karen is with us who donated our first pair of shoes from here in North Hill. And we're so grateful for that. Thank you so much. And now I want to tell you all something that I shared with my wife. And then we'll be done this morning. Starting a ministry is probably one of the greatest difficult things I think I've ever done. We started the cleaning company 25 years ago. I didn't affect anybody. I didn't, you know, God impressed upon mine and my wife's heart. We did it. We prayed over it. We wore out our knees. God provided our bills. He provided all the things that we need. But it was just her and I and him. But you see, it was back then that God spoke on my heart and said, you know what? Clean toilets for a living. Clean carpets for a living. Just, you know, you can bless other people it can be a ministry, and then you can be an associate pastor. You can be a minister of music, and that's what I was for the small church. It was very difficult, churches our size, to hire a full-time youth pastor, a full-time minister of music. And so we did that, and that was 
24 years ago, 23, 24 years ago, and we're still doing it. But it dawned on me this morning that we have a tendency to say often, where's this dear sister? Where's this dear brother? Where's my friend? What happened to this person? What happened to that person? You see Debbie Barcello and Leslie Youngs and Debbie Winter, my wife, my daughters, we were all on the deck. We remember the journey. And in the midst of the journey, you may fall away. But I knew that when I started New Hope Christian Fellowship with the guidance and directions of an almighty, holy God, that He provided. He's the one that took us from the porch to Broad Street, to the YMCA, to the Court Cultural Center, and our one-year anniversary in this building. He did that. You know why He did all that? He did that so that it would be a memorial for all of us to remember what He birthed 13 years ago. I want all of you to understand something so important. Satan has a way to overshadow and make us lose sight of God's provisions in our life. Where we lose who we are in the sense of who we are in Him. He has a way of doing that. And I'm here to tell you, church, you need to rebuke that. When Jesus went in the wilderness, as the children of Israel were in the wilderness, there's one thing that Jesus even did. He said, get behind me, Satan, for thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and only Him shalt thou serve. He rebuked him. Well, today, you rebuke the enemy and say, I'm standing strong. I'm stepping into the water. I'm going through the River Jordan. And no matter what, what takes place, no matter what goes on that journey, I'm not wavering. You see, I'm a pastor. I'm a human being. I lose sight. I get discouraged. I get disappointed in people. It's real. It's very, very real. And then God says to me, stop, Todd. Wait a minute. Get over there to that church. Get over there to 1157 Riverside Drive. Don't you give up. Because you see, there's a process. You grab a hold of that church and you hold that church up in prayer. And when you start getting weak, don't you worry, I'll be there. He says, I'll hold up your arms. You pray for that congregation. You get a hold of them and Lord, you... Todd, you just pray over them and let me do the work in and through their lives. We lose sight. God has a great work. And I knew when the Amani choir was here that God has opened up. I mean, the segue has opened up and God is blessing because we're faithful to do something that we're going, can we really do this? I love when we can't do what we think we can do in our own physical ability. But God wants to do everything in the supernatural because that's how God works. Someone said to me, how would you remodel the church? We raised money in a little under two months to remodel this building. Why? Because you did it as a church. Because God brought people to continue to do His work. Church, are we done with what God wants us to do here? No. 
God has more. It's exciting for me. Here's my boulder. This is my stone. This is it, church. I mean, look around. He gave us a memorial to remember, to never forget what He has done for each and every one of us. Because all we did was we stepped into the water. We took that step of faith. Are you deliberating right now? Is there something going on in your life where you're deliberating saying, I need to make some changes, I don't know what to do? Well, listen, if you feel that's God leading you to do it, you take that step of faith. If it's in the workplace, in the church, whatever it is, man, we will hold on to our money like it is the last nickel we have. Give it. If he tells you to give it, I don't talk about money. Our church has needs. I mean, I was even telling Pastor Luke, I mean, even last week, our offerings were down. It's summertime. That's what happens. We still need, but the air conditioning went up. Isn't that interesting? So we could be comfortable in here. So that your pastor can wear a tie today and freeze you right out of this sanctuary. (laughs) But we want to be comfortable. But I think our air conditioning bill went up 300 and some dollars. So it's, it's difficult. But guess what? Lay it on the altar. Lay it on the altar. I just lay it on the altar. I ain't worrying about tomorrow because tomorrow shall worry about itself. And God provides. He provided 13 years ago and he'll provide tomorrow. Is our God good? Amen. So today, let's all just rise to our feet. And as we rise to our feet and we close in this altar call prayer and the praise team comes, can I just challenge all of you to drive home today and remember what God has done for you. Remember what He's done in your life. Grab a hold of a stone and never let go of that stone because you have faith and you have faith that, that that's the only thing because some people have forgotten. But He said, this is my memorial for you. Then He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And, he, as, and during communion, He says... As often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me, right? That was the memorial. That was the everlasting memorial that he gave to all of us. And so when we observe communion like we do, he does that so that we can remember that sacrifice that his son took for each and every one of us. So I'm here today to tell all of you, oh, God's not done. What he's saying is, get her done. Get her done. And you're a part of this awesome ministry. Thank you for being with us. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord, that even in the midst of our own unfaithfulness and and, and our fears, Lord, you've helped us to, to have greater faith. Lord, help us to have faith to believe in you and to to live our life out trusting you and obeying you. God, we love you. We are so grateful for a good, good Father. There's some that, Father, that have checked in on Facebook. God, I pray that you'll be with them today to trust in you, to have faith in you, God, help all of us to become courageous and brave in our Christian walk. 
so that, Lord, we will have stories to tell our children and our grandchildren of what God has done in and through our lives. God, just help us to come to the altar, to give our life to you, to surrender our life to you, to live our life for you. May we leave a legacy and a monument for others to see so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be preached, not just here in Akron, Ohio, but around the world. Use us, Father. Transform us, Father. And change us for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen. If you would, please, come today.